Hey, welcome to another exciting podcast from Freedom House Church. My name is Troy Maxwell. I'm the senior pastor of our church. We are one church that meets in multiple locations, which means we have different communicators at all of our different locations. Today, you'll be hearing an exciting message from one of our teaching teams. I know that it will bless you. You will walk away changed. So enjoy this message. Fantastic. Good morning, Freedom House Church. Can we give Jesus a big hand clap today? Come on. Good to be in the house of the Lord. My name is Troy Maxwell. My wife and I are the senior pastors here. We also want to give it up for all of our live streamers as Bob so passionately called you guys out. Can we give it up for all the people that have been live streaming with us today? I know many of you are traveling. Don't forget, you can all, all the holidays, you can also join us on live stream, freedomhouse.cc slash live. You can download the app. You can watch us on YouTube. You can catch up on all the messages on our YouTube channel, however you want to do it. Whatever works for you. Uh, I love the messages. I listen to them over and over again. We've got our teaching team that's traveling all over the place. We are one church, multiple locations. So like I'm today, I'm here today. Uh, you got me two weeks in a row again, Central. Come on, Jesus. Uh, and then I'm back again at the end of the month, and then we're going to have our Christmas Eve services. And then today, we have Olin Carter, who is at our South End campus, and Pastor Michael, who is at our Lake Norman campus. It's great. This, this month is a great month to be a bringer. Look at your neighbor say, be a bringer. Be a bringer. All right, now look at me. Now, here's something really cool. I don't know what it is about this month, but this month, people are crazy open to invitations to come to church. And you know the number one reason why people don't come to church? They ain't invited. Yeah. Number one reason. And so I want to challenge you over this next month to start really getting people ready to come to our Christmas Eve service. And you heard Madison, which today is her birthday. My daughter-in-law, today's her birthday. Um, she's the big double two today. Come on, somebody. 22. How many of y'all remember when, it, when you were 22? I mean, like that's like years ago for me. About five years ago. <laughs> What's so funny about that? And so, uh, uh, what was I talking about? I totally lost my train of thought. I was talking about being a bringer. Being a bringer. Okay, sorry. sorry I just totally lost my train of thought there. Um, that's what happens up here. It's, it's crazy up in this head. Just want to let you know. It gets a little, a little wild up in here. Um, so be a bringer. This is a great time to start working on people. Oh, no, I know I was going to say. The tickets, they're free. They're free. But we want to know when you're going to come so we can make sure we have room for all the guests. This is one of our biggest times of the year. We have people from all over the community that participate and come. Um, that, that Maybe this is their only time of the year that they come to church. Or this is the first time that they ever walk through the doors of Freedom House Church. So I encourage you to, to invite some people. Be a bringer. Look at your second choice, the one you didn't want to say this to the first time. Say, I'm going to be a bringer. I'm going to be a bringer. Now, I know that uh, we're, we're starting a brand new series called Elephant, White Elephant. And this is another name for Dirty Santa, okay? We couldn't call it that because you we know, would be in the news and all that stuff. So, um, but White Elephant is that gift exchange that some of you are going to participate in. Some of your life groups do it. Sometimes you do it at your office with your family where everybody brings a gift, some of which are gag gifts, you know, that aren't really anything that you want. And so you get the gift, and you're supposed to be able to give it away, but you can't. And so you unwrap it, you're like, oh, man, I got two bars of soap or two potatoes or whatever. And you're like, I didn't want that. Well, this whole message series is about things in our life that we find ourselves unwrapping that we really don't want, but 
we have to deal with. And today, I want to talk about unwrapping your storm. I don't know about you, but uh, I've been through some storms. How many of y'all been through some storms? I'm not talking about just physical storms, hurricanes. I'm talking about spiritual storms. Been in a storm in your family. Come on. How many of y'all in the middle of a storm in your family? It starts like no- November is, because, you know, you got to have them over for Thanksgiving. Uncle Joe gets drunk, you know, and, and Susie starts talking about politics. And then next thing you know, everybody's cussing. And you just wanted to have a nice turkey dinner. So now you got to love them all the way through that. It's a storm. How many of you had a storm in your job in 2019? Maybe you lost your job. Maybe you're in between jobs right now. You're struggling financially. You've had a storm in your finances. Come on. You have way more month than you have bills, right? Money. You have way more month than you have money. We've all been through that. I've been through, through some storms. This year uh, was a big storm year for us. We, we went through some challenges in the church with us personally some friendships changed different storms that happened in our lives I want to talk about what happens when you have to unwrap your storm if you have your Bibles if you want to open up your iPads your eyelids I want to take you through a story we'll spend some time in Mark chapter 6 take some notes even if you're not in a storm uh, this is a good time to take some notes to prepare for one because I can promise you you're gonna hit a storm sometime You're either in one or on your way into one, out of one and maybe into another one. And so Jesus is just fed 5,000 people times two and a half because it talks about just the men in the Bible. So he he basically is fed somewhere around 15 to 20,000 people. And then it says this in verse 45. It says immediately. Everybody everybody shout immediately. Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of them to Bethsaida, to one translation says, to the other side. While he dismissed the crowd, verse 46, after leaving them, he went up on a mountaintop to pray. Now, this is important to understand. Jesus understood the power of rhythm. Everybody say rhythm. No such thing as a balanced life. Just want to let you know that. You're not going to be able to balance your life, so you need to get in a good rhythm. And Jesus teaches us a rhythm that we should have, that when we, are, when we come from a battle time in our life, we must also have a holy time in our life. So whenever you go through battleground moments, you have to have holy ground moments. And so he, he's the son of God. He, he's, he's God in the flesh, but he understands that he needs to make sure that after he has done something significant for God, he gets with God for the next for God. And so you need to do the same thing. Don't think that you can just go have a holy ground when you're in the middle of a battleground. Every time you exit a battleground, spend some time with God. Focus on, have a debrief with God. Because he may tell you what's ahead so you can be prepared for it. Build your spirit up. So Jesus gives us a little help there. Totally not involved in the message, but I thought I'd just throw that in there. Verse 47, when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on the land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them walking on the lake. That's pretty cool. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake... Come on, look at your neighbor and say, that's pretty awesome. I don't know about you. I've never walked on anything other than land. Tried. Have you ever, anybody ever tried to walk on water? Come on, you're at the pool in the summertime. You had a good day at church. Monday comes. You're like, Jesus, can I do it? And then you just sink to the bottom. 
They thought he was a ghost. They cried out. There's nothing worse than experiencing a storm and a ghost at the same time. That's a whole other message as well. Verse 50, because they all saw him and were terrified, immediately, everybody say immediately. He spoke to them and said, take courage. Look at your neighbor and say, take courage. Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them. And the storm died down. The wind died down. They were completely amazed for they had not understood about the the loaves and their hearts were hardened. Verse 53, when they had crossed over, they landed at this place called Gennesaret and anchored there. And as soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They had heard about him on Instagram. They saw his Twitter feed. He was on Fox News because he would never be on CNN. And they ran throughout. That was a bad joke. Sorry. They ran throughout that whole region and carried the sick on mats wherever they heard he was. Look what happened. And wherever he went, wherever Jesus went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick on the market, in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the, hedge, the edge of his cloak, and all who touched him were healed. Pretty incredible story. A few years ago, two years ago, actually, I flew from Charlotte to Uganda. Anybody ever been to Africa before? Raise your hand if you've ever been to Africa. I don't know if it may, maybe you've been to Uganda. We have a medical clinic that we're in the middle of building in Ghana, and I was going to preach in Uganda. And people asked me, you know, when I told them I was going from Charlotte to Uganda, they go, oh, man, that's incredible. Uganda's going to be amazing. When I got back from the trip, they were like, how was Uganda? What happened in Uganda? But what they didn't ask me is how it was from Charlotte to Uganda. Because I'm going to tell you what, getting from Charlotte to Uganda was serious business. Wednesday night of this particular trip, I had to go to the airport at 8 o'clock. My plane didn't leave till 10. I, had to leave. I left that night, 10 o'clock on Wednesday night. I had to get there two hours ahead. I don't know why you have to get there two hours ahead on an international plane, because I sat for an hour and a half. There was no, I didn't like have to do any calisthenics before the international travel. They just, for some reason, they make you get there. They changed the gate. So I had to move from one gate to another. They made the plane. They, they, they had to change the plane to a smaller plane. They changed my seat. So I get on the plane at 10 p.m. I fly overnight to London Heathrow. I have a seven-hour layover in London Heathrow. So I jump on a train. I go into London Heathrow because I want to get a good coffee in London. And so I took my train in there. Almost lost my phone in the train. Left it in the train. It was sitting on the on the on the on the seat in the train, I see my phone, the door is getting ready to close, you know, and they're speaking in some English and stuff. I'm running in to grab my phone. In, I mean, it was very close. It was very bad, very bad. So I go into town, come back seven hours later. I get on another plane and fly from London to Qatar. Qatar. Now, have you ever been to Qatar? I'm not talking about guitar. I'm talking about Qatar. Now, you don't go outside the airport in Qatar because they'll, they'll kidnap you and kill you because you're American there. But it was a pretty crazy airport. I got there late in the evening at about 11 p.m., and I had to sleep in the airport. And so they have, in Qatar, interesting airport, they have sleeping rooms in the airport. However, these sleeping rooms, just, they don't have a bed in them. They just have a couch. 
and they're not covered over top. And so I lay down. I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to get a good four or five hours sleep maybe because my plane leaves the next morning at 6 a.m. to fly to Uganda. However, because it doesn't have a ceiling, I have never in my life heard so many people snore ever. They were snoring in different languages. They were snoring in harmony. I could not sleep for any. I sat there and I'm like, oh my gosh. How and what are y'all doing in Qatar? So I didn't sleep. I finally had to put my headphones in and listen to something in order to stop hearing the snoring. I woke up exhausted at 5 a.m., get on another plane and fly to Uganda. I left Wednesday. I got to Uganda Friday evening and then preached eight times on Saturday and Sunday. Nobody asked me about that, though. They never asked me about how the trip was. They just said they were focused on the destination, which is what we're a lot of times focused on. We get focused on where we're supposed to get instead of realizing it takes something to get there. If you want to write this down, see, in order to get to, you have to go through. I know, I know, we like to, we like destinations, we like the finish line, we kind of obsess about the finish line, we obsess about the destination, but the truth of the matter is most of our life is lived in the through, not the to. And can I just tell you something, some of you, many of you in this room, are headed to some great destinations. I just want to prophesy to you that 2020 is going to be the year where you enter into your destination, where God has called you to. Some of you, your destination is increase. Some of you, your destination is promotion. Some of you, your destination is a brand new marriage, a brand new life, a brand new job, a brand new business, a, bra a brand new ministry. Can I get an amen? Come on, point at your neighbor. Point at your neighbor. Say, you're going to. You're going to. Look at your other neighbor. Say, but you got to go through. You got to go through. Through is hard. I think God's favorite word is through. Look, I mean, think about, think about all in the Bible. Think about every person in the Bible. Every, every person in the Bible. Yet yeah, we, we, we have an advantage because we can skip the through and find out the two. Joseph. Joseph was a young man. He has a dream that he's going to, you know, basically all his family's going to bow before him. He tells his family. And so God has to take him through the pit, through prison, in order to get him to the palace. He had to take the Israelites through the Red Sea and through the wilderness in order to get them to the promised land. And then they still had some through. They had to go through. Think about Daniel. Daniel had to go through the lion's den. They looked at him like he was a McDaniel sandwich. That was pretty funny right there. But he had to go through. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to go through the fiery furnace. Jonah had to go through the sea and through the belly of a whale in order to get to Nineveh. God loves the word through. But he promises you and me that you'll be okay in the through. Some of you are in the middle of your through right now. Here's what the Bible says in Isaiah 43. It says, when you go through the deep waters, I will be with you. 
When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. See, through is the storm, but we got to understand that through does something for us. It helps us. Just write these down. God is just as interested in your through as he is in your two. I, I think, personally, I think he's more interested in your through than he is your two. We're more interested in the destination. God's more interested in the journey. Because the journey is what makes us. Let me say it another way. The storm is what makes you. We don't like to hear that. We don't like storms. We don't want to be in the storm. And can I just tell you something? God, God's not the author of the storm, but he sure will use it. He, he sure will. You, you might have even caused the storm yourself, but God will still use it. You're in the middle of a storm. And, and let's be honest. Let's be honest. Most of the storms we find our sin, our own, uh, us in are our own consequence. We put ourselves there in the first place, whether it's disobedience, whether it's sin, whether it's something we're dealing with. But God can, God can still help us. He can still work because he's interested in our through. He's interested in the storm. So just write a couple of these things. Through is what develops us. Through is what develops us. It develops our character. Because God wants to make sure that when you get to, your character can keep you there. Your gift will get you there, but your character will keep you there. We love gifts. We, want, we love talent. We, a lot of times, I've done this before, I, I've connected with people because of their talent, because of their gifting. And they've let me down because of their character. And so we got to make sure that we've got to get ourselves in a position where our character is developed. And that's what through does. Storms are meant to develop your character. Through is what tests our faith. Your faith needs to be tested. Why? Because the faith that you have right now is different than the faith you'll need when you get there. You're going to need a better developed faith. You're going to need a, a more secure faith. Peter calls it an enduring faith, a faith that's going to last through is what makes our two better, doesn't it? Come on, because we can look back at what we've been through and go, thank God I don't have to go through that again. Right? I, I, man, I, I, I made it through that. I, I thank goodness I, I went through that in my two right now, where I am right now. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I don't want to deal with that again. So I'm going to stay right here. I'm not going to put myself in a position where I have to go through that again. Are, are you following me? Here, here's another thing. Through is how we find who is really connected to us, isn't it? And, and, and it's funny how many people jump out the boat in the middle of your storm. They don't want to be there. They, 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 they leave you. I've had, I've had this happen year after year after year. I want people to go to the destination that God has for me. I want people with me. I want this person and this person and this person. But it's funny how this person stays with me, but the through causes this person to disconnect from me. But, but it's important that we understand that your storm sometimes is meant to really relieve yourself of some folks that aren't meant to go with you. Hard thing. Hard thing to deal with. Here, here's another one. Through is what gets rid of what we can't take to. It's the filter. It really is. Because there's some stuff in us that the storm needs to beat out of us. It really is. You know, when you think about the story of the disciples, th think about this, okay? 
It says immediately he said he sent them in the boat. By the way, Mark chapter 6 mirrors Matthew chapter 14. Okay, same story, two different perspectives. All right? So what happened right before Jesus sends the disciples to Bethsaida is that he has just fed 5,000 people with a number three combo from Long John Silver's. They didn't even supersize it. It wasn't even supersized. It was just two pieces of fish, five biscuits, and they were good, buttered and everything. Little boy brought them. He thought he was going to get to eat it himself. And next thing you know, Jesus is taking this little boy's lunch from him. Terrible, horrible. No, I'm just kidding. He took it. He gave it to him, and then he multiplied this. In, and it did, him, I mean, an incredible miracle. An incredible miracle to the masses. So, so the disciples witness this amazing miracle to the masses. And then he sends them to the other side. And then when he gets to the other side in Gennesaret, people recognize who Jesus is. And so they send all the sick people out to Jesus. And every person that touches the hem of his garment, they reach out. They don't, he doesn't touch them, they touch him. So now Jesus does a miracle in individuals. So he comes from a miracle. They see a miracle of the masses, and now they're seeing miracles of individuals. Another way to look at your through is you are just in between your miracle. You witnessed a miracle, and you're on your way to another miracle. They were in the middle of the sea, and they had faced a storm that was trying to knock them down trying to stop you. Let me say it another way. Your storm signifies that you are really close to your next miracle. It's another way to look at it. You say, man, I'm going through some hell. Yeah, but heaven is just around the corner. Your miracle is just around the corner. Just make it through. Matter of fact, let's talk about some ways that you can see your storm. Let's unwrap this storm. I want to give you three things that will help you understand why the storm is happening to you right now. Number one, write this down. Storms help you realize you are not in control. This is a big one. You aren't in control. We like to be in control. I like to be in control. My greatest fear is to be taken advantage of. That's my greatest fear. My wife tells me that all the time. You don't like to be taken advantage of. I don't like to be taken advantage of. And the reason, the way that I stop people from taking advantage of me is I try to control the situation. But how many of you know you can't control every situation? And you definitely can't control a storm. And so here the disciples, they're out there. You know, Jesus, Jesus had told them where to go. Like he said, go to Bethsaida. They had a directive from God. And then they hit a storm. Like that'll make you question whether you're even going in the direction that God wants you to go. And so the Bible says in, 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 in verse 48, he saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and waves. And about 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. They were struggling. They were challenged. They were out of control. You ever been in that situation? You ever felt that way? Don't raise your hand, but how, how many of you feel? I just felt... Right now, you feel like, man, it's just out of control. Like, I don't, know, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to handle this. You know, in God's eyes, that's a great place for you to be. Matter of fact, that's why you're in the storm. He wants you there. Because it's amazing how desperate you will become for God when you are totally out of control. 
When you, when, you, when you realize you can't control this situation and you have to turn the keys over to God. We want, we want God to be our co-pilot. And he says, no, 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 no. That's not how it works. I want you to stay in the baggage compartment. So I can't even hear you trying to give me directions on how to get wherever I need to get. But that's what we want. That's especially in our Western mindset. We, we think that life should be fair. That means we want to control it. We, we think that our life should be fair. Life, life is not fair. I, I used to try to teach this to my kids. They just couldn't get it. They didn't understand the fact that life wasn't fair. Life is not meant to be fair. It, it won't be fair. There's going to be situations you're going to deal with that you're, you're, going to have not, you're, you're not going to have any say in it. You're, not going to have, you're going to be doing all the right things, praying all the right prayers, having the right heart motive, and still be totally out of control. That's called a storm. That's called a storm. You don't know which way. You don't even know what. You're just straining at everything. See, here's the truth. The truth is, is that control is God's responsibility. Taking courage is ours. Here's what happened in, in, in the story. In verse 50, it says, they were all terrified when they saw him. They got scared. Who, what is this? Walking on the water. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid. He said, take courage. Look at your neighbor say, take courage. Take courage. When we yield over control to God, we are commanded by God, by Jesus, to take courage. Take courage. You can't take control, but you can take courage. Now, courage is different. Than a lot of things. You can't borrow courage from somebody. You can't store courage up. You can't. You can't put a little courage in the bank in case you need it later. You've got to take courage in the middle of the storm. What does it mean to take courage? It means that you are facing fear, but you're using your faith. You are facing fear... But you're using your faith. Everything around me is out of control, so I have to be mindful to trust God and take courage. I gotta, I gotta take courage. I gotta pray prayers that means that means something very different. In the middle of this danger, 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 I've gotta take courage. Sometimes that means take a step. Sometimes that means take a knee. Sometimes that means Take away for a little while. Take courage. Look at your neighbor one more time and just say, take courage. Take courage. Here's what I learned about Jesus. Jesus deals with the person before he deals with the problem. He deals with us on the inside before he controls the storm on the outside. Now, we want it to reverse. Let's be honest. Matter of fact, we think it's better that he deal with the storm before he deals with us. But that's not how it works with God. God always deals with us first. He's trying to get our heart because he knows we're going to face another storm. And so in order to navigate the next storm, we have to realize that we made it through the last one. And so when he does something in our heart, like courage, and he teaches us that we can navigate this thing, then when we face it again... I call them pillars of faith. We, we can lean against those pillars of faith. Those times where we aggressively faced in whatever way it is. I'll never forget when 
my daughter was diagnosed with brain tumors all in her head in utero. I was out of control, man. Like, I, I could not, I couldn't touch my daughter. I couldn't hold her. She was in my wife's stomach. Some of you know this story. This was in, in 1999. She, she was in utero, and the doctor tells us that she's, two things are going to happen. One of two things. Number one, she's going to be a Down syndrome baby. Or number two, she's going to die within the first year, be an Edwards syndrome baby. Okay, so here's what you can do. We'll take an amniotic uh, fluid test. We'll let you know which one to be prepared for. But what he didn't know is there was a third option called the take courage option. That means that I had to use my faith when I was totally out of control. Couldn't touch her. Couldn't, you know, you can't lay hands on her because, I mean, she, she, I, can't, I can't see her other than through the, the ultrasound. That's all I could do. Totally out of control. Jesus said, take courage. You got to take courage sometimes. It takes courage to get down on your knees and pray. It takes courage to step out of the boat like Peter did. It takes courage to face the storm and not let the storm knock you down. It takes courage to get back up again. It takes courage sometimes to leave some people behind because they aren't meant to go with you. That's, it takes courage. Here's the second thing that you got to understand. is Storms give way to new revelations. They give way to new revelations. Mark chapter 6, verse 51, it says, Then he climbed into the boat, and the wind stopped, and they were totally amazed. One, one translation says that, that the, the second, it says, immediately the wind stopped. And isn't this how God works? Okay, t- tell me if this isn't how God works. It's slow, 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 slow. Immediate. Slow, slow. Slow. Miracle. Come on, isn't that how it works? It's slow, steady, slow, slow. Immediate. Isn't that the way it works? Come on, anybody, anybody, and that, that's how our, my relationship was with, with, is with God. We, we want immediate, 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 immediate. God says, no, 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 no. Slow. <laughs> Slow, 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 immediate, and then it happens all of a sudden. It's exactly how it works because God wants to see how long you can obey him. And so he wants to know, can you stay in the boat? Can you stay focused? Can you, can you stay strong, connected with your faith? Because he wants to reveal himself in a way that he's never revealed himself before. When he gets in the boat, I think it's interesting. When he gets in the boat, it says, Then the disciples worshipped him and said, You really are the Son of God. Okay, time out for a second. <laughs> T, T, come on, 20-second time out here. You mean, now I read Mark 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. I read Matthew 1 through 13 just to see exactly what happened prior to this moment. Okay, they saw some crazy stuff happen. They saw lepers get healed. And you know what leprosy is, is when your digits start falling off. Your hands start falling off. Your feet start falling off. Basically, the disease starts to eat you from your extremities in. Wherever the blood has the hardest time to get, starts falling off. So when Jesus heals the leper, it says he made him whole. It means he went from being able to count to eight to being able to count to ten. 
Just, just think about that. He's like lifting his hands, you know, and he's only got, you know, this. That's what he looks like. And Jesus healed him and bam. That's what, I mean, he, he, they witnessed that. They witnessed a girl getting completely raised from the dead. They witnessed all kinds of amazing miracles. But it wasn't until he walks on water. They even, they even struggled with the whole fishes and loaves thing. It says their heart was hardened. Like they were struggling. When was the last time you were amazed by God? Because when you're amazed is when he can drop in a new revelation of who he is. And he does that with merit. So he'll show us something so he can reveal himself. Why? Because new revelations give us new perspectives. It gives us a different, whole different perspective on how things happen. Our, our faith suffers when we forget. When we forget. When we forget who God is in our life. When we forget the things that he did for us. When we forget what we've been through. Our faith starts to suffer and we lose the sensitivity to being amazed by who God is. Listen, how about this season? I love what Aaron was talking about. How about the season we remember what he did for us at Calvary? I mean, the, the amazing sacrifice. How about we start putting God in the position that he really should be in our finances, in our relationships, in our body, that he is our provider, that he is our peace, that he is our healer, that he is everything that we need. Let's have a revelation of who he is. And here's the third thing, if you want to write this down, is storms set the stage for an audacious response. Another way to say that is adversity creates the perfect moment for audaciousness. What do I mean by audacious? I mean, that's when you, when you start to be bold. Like, you take crazy steps. Think about this. Okay, Mark chapter 6 really doesn't talk too much about Peter. Um, because, I, you know, I, I don't know. I'll just kind of take a chance here. Just take a chance and say that maybe the reason why that Peter's not mentioned in Mark chapter 6, this story, because this is the exact same story of Matthew chapter 14. Maybe it's because Peter was the one who dictated the witness account to Mark to write. And maybe, maybe, I'm just saying, we'll find out when we get to heaven. Maybe Peter didn't want to draw attention to himself. He wanted to make sure that Jesus got all the attention. However, when you read Matthew's account of the story, it says that when Jesus came and appeared, they saw he was, they thought he was a ghost. And then Peter, out of all 12 of the disciples, any one of them could have done this. All of them could have done this. In the middle of the storm, because I want you to see this. It's in the middle of the storm where we typically take the biggest faith risks that we'll ever take. Matter of fact, the storm sets the stage for it. For you to do something that you've never done before. For you to pray something you've never prayed before. For you to be obedient like you've never been obedient before. So Peter says, if it's you, Jesus, call me out. And Jesus says, come, and, G and Peter steps out and walks on the water. Listen to me. We know the whole story. We know what happened. You know, he got out on the water. He sank. Jesus picked him up. He gets back in the boat. The, the, the seas are calmed. However, Peter would have never had that story if it wasn't for the storm. He would have never been able to, he would have never been able to tell his grandkids, I walked on water, just saying. 
Jesus was out there. The disciples, I mean, John and James, they were crying. And, and you know, Judas is looking around so he can seal stuff in the boat because everybody's focused on the ghost. And, and I decided, you know, I'm just telling you, I just decided to look at him. I said, come, tell me to come. And then I walked. I didn't even take my shoes off. I just walked right on the top of the water. I've been fishing all my life. And I've never, 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 ever seen anybody do this before. And, yeah, it was cool that Jesus did it, but I did it too. Because that's what storm does. Storms create moments where we can say, I did it too. Where we can say, I stepped out in faith. Where we can say, I I did something I've never done before to achieve something and go somewhere I've never been before. That's what audaciousness is all about. Why don't you stand up on your feet with me? I don't know what 2020 holds. For all of us, I I can tell you right now, I'm glad 2019 is over. I'm I'm glad. I'm a pretty pretty even keel person. You know, I I love life. I have a lot of fun. But I'm glad this year's over. I'm ready for 2020. And I believe 2020 is the year where you take some bold faith steps. Some huge faith steps. Some get out and walk on the water. Matter of fact, why don't you think about it right now. What is it that you need to walk on top of right now in order to get to where God has called you? Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for faith that you've put in in, in each one of us. And Father, many times the storms of life are meant to draw the faith that you know is in us, that we didn't even think we had, out of us. So, Father, I pray for every person in this room, God, every person listening, watching online, God, that you would cause them to step out of their own boat, walk on their own water in the middle of the storm, to not be drawn by the winds and the waves and the challenges and the opposition and the betrayal, the pushback and the straining, but God, to get their focus on you. That Jesus, you are our Lord, that you are our provider, that you are our storm calmer. And you came to meet us even today, God. Even in this room right now, God, you're here to draw faith out of us. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today and maybe you don't know God as your personal Lord and Savior. You've never made a decision to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Or maybe you knew God at one time in your life and you fell away. You know who you are. You know your life is not pleasing to God. You you know, you know. When you close your eyes at night, there's some things that you need to give up, let go of. In order to let God take control. You are out of control right now. But I feel the Lord. I feel the Holy Spirit saying take courage. You don't need to be afraid. Jesus is here for you. He's here for you. He has met you in the middle of your storm. And he wants to calm your heart. Sure he wants to calm the storm. But let him calm your heart first. If you're here and you say, I need my heart calmed today. I need some courage. I need your peace, God. I'm going to count to three. When I get to three, just raise your hand. 
Even if you're watching online, just raise your hand. Ready? One, two, three. Just raise your hand. You say, that's me. I need some calming in the middle of my storm. Father, thank you for every person that's had the boldness to, to raise their hand today. Father, that would take a step of faith and believe. And Father, I know that you will meet them right where they are. Let's all pray this prayer. Let's make this confession today all together in this room, even watching online. Say this with me. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is my Lord. He will calm my heart. Jesus, I thank you for your peace that passes all understanding. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. I need you today. I will take courage. I declare faith over my life in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, give God a big hand clap.